0: Hello and welcome back to Old Sport Podcast for Season 2, Episode 2 or Episode 27, depending on who's counting. We have headline stories and controversial topics to debate from the AFL, cricket and football worlds, plus all your favourites and much, much more. I'm Hamish Stewart and with me as always are the resident marathon runner Ben Rosen and the recovering Hugo Carson coming to us live from the fourth stage of grief. Hugo, the blues hat has been replaced by the Ricardo hoodie. Is that where our attention must now turn?
1: Uh, yeah, anywhere but the AFL world, I think, is where my attention is right now. Still uh, still processing and believing or tra- attempting to understand what happened on uh, on Sunday afternoon. Ben, um, what's this about a marathon run, though? Um, yeah, well, this is news to me as, as well as you.
2: <laughs> Went out, enjoyed myself <laughs> over the weekend, um, probably too much, and then when it came to do some Uni work on Monday. I checked my emails and I had a confirmation that I'd enrolled to run the Melbourne Half Marathon. And I'm like, "What on earth is this? I haven't gone for a run in about three years." Um, sure enough, check my bank account; $125 has just been depleted from that. So I'm like, "This is looking <laughs> awfully real." Make some calls around to people I'd spent time with over the weekend. Turns turns out me and a mate in some drunken state had decided that to get in shape we would run this half marathon which is in about five weeks time so safe to say that over the last three days i've dusted off the old mizuno running (laughs) shoes and i'm like dying after three k's so i'll keep you updated on how that goes but to far more interesting and (laughs) important news um obviously we had a round 23 and the conclusion of what was a fantastic home and away season of the football and it really saved the best to last uh on on friday night the D's looked way too good for the struggling lions Freo got the job done over the giants um sun's too good for north melbourne the cats continued their dominant run with an 85 point thumping over the eagles tiges roaring into form at the right time they beat the poor old Bombers by 11 goals at the G. Um, and then we had Port Adelaide getting it done over the, the old enemy, the Crows. Western Bulldogs in what ended up being a fairly important 23-point victory early on a Sunday. Uh, Sydney getting the job done over the Saints to book themselves a top-four spot. And, of course, the one that I'm sure will go into plenty more detail about, Collingwood defeating the Blues by just the one-point on sunday afternoon before we dive into the cricket the footy sorry any further i'll go through a couple of other sports in the golf patrick cantlay defended his title at the BMW championship the second stop on the pga tour playoffs um and adam scott scraped his way into the final 30 and punched his ticket to the tour championship at east lake with a fantastic up and down bunker shot on
0: the very last hole so i saw that um that up and down is worth 500,000 us dollars.
2: Yes. Yeah. About as much as we paid Dan Hatterby every game. So that's good. <laughs> um, in cricket, um, what do we got? South Africa beat England by an innings and 12 runs and India got home three nil over Zimbabwe in their ODI series.
1: Over to you, Hugo. Yeah, not too much for me to for me to talk about here. Not just in the football world, but also in the world of American sports. The MLB has continued its action and will continue for a few more months now. Um, and in the NFL, we've had a few preseason games, but we're still two weeks away from regular season games. There was one incident in which a a player basically tackled and took out the legs of a opposition player, and it was a, a brutal tackle and take of the legs and it was broken leg and in a pre-season game it's just awful to see but yeah more importantly huge game overnight Hamish take us to the Premier League
0: oh yeah it wasn't a great result uh, for those of us who (laughs) uh, reside in in the side. so Manchester United beat Liverpool 2-1 this morning controversial second goal looked offside but they've kind of changed how they do the the VAR this year it's more of a a vibe check than an actual like line that's drawn. Some guy just looks at it and goes, yeah, it looks all right. Um, So anyway, that was an interesting call, but United probably deserved the three points. There were some big results elsewhere as well over the weekend. Arsenal are now the only team with three wins from three. They beat Bournemouth comfortably. It was three all in what we coined the Oilfields Derby last week uh, between Newcastle and Manchester City. That was a thriller. I've had St. James's Park. And Leeds beat Chelsea 3-0 to put a bit of extra pressure on Thomas Tuchel at the moment. So a slow start to the season for a lot of the big clubs. Uh, It looks like the shortened preseason they've had and players still look fatigued, to be honest, from last year. So it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. And just before we finish the recap, in the NRL, there was genuinely some footy scores in the weekend. There's been a lot of discussions about the the gap between the best teams and the worst teams. But I'll just read out a few. So we had the Raiders beat the Knights 28-22 in a really exciting game. Dragons beat the Titans 46-26. The Sharks beat the Seagulls 40-6. The Storm beat the Broncos 60-12. The Eels beat the Bulldogs 42-6. And the Roosters beat the West Tigers 72-6, uh, which is absolutely nuts when you consider how many tries they had to score. Uh, so anyway, it looks like NRL is turning into a high-scoring game, uh, even if footy's going going the other way. Uh, but we'll leave the cap there. We'll, we'll get straight into it. Um, the footy finals are upon us. Ben... How are you feeling?
2: Yes, finals are set, and none of our teams are featuring. So, <laughs> isn't isn't that good? But no, I think it should still be a a ripper finals. Obviously, I'm sure a lot of the listeners will know, but um, the four finals in week one we got Lions, Tigers, Melbourne v Swans, Cats, Collingwood, and Fremantle Bulldogs. So, four cracking games there. So, plenty of us. Plenty for our Sports Mad fans to look forwards to. We've got a little bit of a discussion point here uh, with the finals coming up in a matter of weeks. Who are the top five most influential players? The ones that
1: are going to absolutely change the game. I'll start with you, Hugo. Yeah, so I'll start with number five. Um, And it's a tricky one because, you know, you can see a number of players tear it up. In a finals game, you know, one player makes a difference. Um, but I've gone for a few different ones and then a few, a few big ones. I think number five, I had Tom Papley, just because he is one of those small forwards who can just take over a game. He can score goals from nothing, you know, a, a low percentage inside 50, he can convert to a high percentage goal. His goals per game is really up there this year. Um, I really think he's a big chance. Um, number four I've gone for Darcy Moore um, tried to fit a defender in there and I just think if he's on song he can lock down any forward in the game and then his rebounding work is as good as it gets I know he's torn Carlton up a few times and once he gets going the crowd gets behind him every time he gets the ball Um, I'll stop at four what did you guys have there Ben
2: yeah, so I also had more, so I'll leave enough said there. At four, I had Dusty. Now, he's obviously not the player he was, and we don't even really know if he's going to be playing, but apparently he was seen doing sprints um at training a couple of days ago. Supposedly in good shape. No one really knows what's wrong with him or where he is. It's one of the great mysteries, but he's the only three-time Norm Smith medalist um, lacing him up in the finals. And I think... On that alone, he's got to be one of the more influential players out there.
0: Yeah, hard to disagree. Um, I didn't include him just because I'm not sure if he's going to play or not. He would have thought he will. My number five is Andy Brayshaw. We don't cover Frio a whole lot on the cast, but he, I well, he definitely been the All-Australian team. He's a pretty good shot for the Brown though as well. I think if Frio are going to go anywhere, it's going to be on the back of his work, not five for anyone else. It's, it's down to him. And at four, I had Mark Blitzars like Hugo trying to get a defender in there or someone a little bit different. Um, I'm not sure he's going to change a game per se, but over the course of a match, he has a really huge bearing on the influence, but um, potentially his biggest role will actually be shutting down the gun midfielders from the opposition. So it'll be interesting to see what he does against Collingwood in the first final. They don't really have one standout gun midfielder. It's been Collingwood's strength this year is the spread. Uh, So I'll be interested to see where he plays. Hugo, do you want to take us through your top three?
1: Yes, of course. So from here, I really think I couldn't go past one man who's who's really dominated the entire season. The only thing is his recent injury. He's probably the best forward in the comp and they've even started putting him in the, in the middle and he can just tear games up and he's been the most important player for Geelong in this big stretch. That's Jeremy Cameron. And then at two, I've gone for Tom Lynch, who's just been the most dominant forward, I think, for the last few weeks. And when he's on fire and the confidence he has going into this finals series, I think as well. Um, I think he is ready to tear it up for Richmond. Um, yeah. Number one, I've gone for Christian Petrarca just because I think in finals, when the game's on the line, I think Clayton Oliver might be a more consistent and maybe a better player for Melbourne, but Christian Petrarca, if he wants to turn it on, he can go get his own ball, win it from the middle, take on a few players and kick a goal by himself. He's kind of, has the potential to do what Dusty's done for so many years, um, and that's win the goal, win the game with goals and possessions as well. Uh, and I think in finals, just a few flash spark moments in the midfield will could be a big thing for for Melbourne.
2: Yeah, I agree with all that. I honestly think you could pick. Almost a half dozen players from Melbourne. They've got a lot of a lot of dynamic yeah. players, and as you mentioned with Oliver, there, um, yeah, they they complement each other very well. I've also gone with Cameron. Obviously, there's an injury contingency there, but at his best, he's borderline unstoppable. Number one, sorry, number two. I've gone with Petraka. Same reason as you said, um, midfielders that can hit the scoreboard scoreboard are worth their weight in gold in finals, but. Number one for me from the same club, I'm going Maxi Gorn. Just based off what he was able to do, particularly in the the prelim and grand final last year, I think that he's a real barometer for that team. And when he's up and he's taking big pack marks and, um, you know, marshalling that wall when they lock it inside forward fifty, and also going forwards and hitting the scoreboard, he can genuinely tear games apart as he did last year in the finals.
0: Very hard to, to argue with that, Ben. Um, I tried to go for a little bit different. I had Oliver at three. Um, this is very different, it is quite different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, had Oliver at number three. Um, I think his goal in the third quarter against the dogs was as important as any in that stretch, and he's been so good for Melbourne this year. I think he's their most important player, um, with probably Max Gorn, and I expect him to have a huge final series. Number two, I've got Shea Bolton, who will be All-Australian this year um, and who I think is Richmond's best player by a long, long way now. Um, I think Tom Lynch has been good, but when you look at the opponents he's kicked the goals against, he hasn't actually done it against a good defence as of yet. So um, not that he's going to get that against Brisbane per se. Um, uh, It's a little bit of a dry fight. But um, I think (laughs) Shea Bolton, if Richmond are going to win one or two games, it's going to come down to him. I expect him to have to kick at least five um, across those games to to get them there. And then number one, I've gone for a very left field. <laughs> Let's get one. into this, and I'm not going to lie. I was a really <laughs> slow burn on this guy because I really didn't think he could kick the ball very well. Um, for those of you that listened to our interview or to our episode last year and last week and heard Dan talking about his his Swans players, but it's Chad Warner. Um, I think all you need to do to justify this one is to watch his goal against the Saints last weekend where he picks the ball up on the wing, just kind of in the middle of, middle congestion, of congestion and you blink and he's suddenly 20 metres ahead of everyone. David King calls in the leader of the Leg Drivers Association with that explosive pace and then he's just smacked it from inside the square, gone through. Um, so that kind of has convinced me he can kick the ball um, and he is... Incredibly dynamic, so if the swans are going to beat the Ds and get that home prelim final, which you feel like they probably need, um I think it's going to be on the back of the chad, um but yeah, not to um play down Christian petrarca who obviously didn't get in my my five <laughs> <a> bit <laughs> rough <North> Smith medalist <laughs> last yeah. year,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I also think Dusty's very stiff to miss out you know. Someone also I thought of was Buddy. Like in finals, when was the last time he played finals in, in the form that he's been in recently? He's been kicking goals, and um, he's one of those ones that can worry defenders and, and turn a game on its head. Um, I reckon we we wrap up there and save the rest of our finals preview for a big week, epi- or a big episode next week. We do have the week off for, from footy, so we'll save it there. I think it's now time to turn on, turn over to the end of the regular season. Um, I've got our ladder predictors up from the start of the year, boys. I do actually. I do. Oh no! (laughs) So obviously, (laughs) the big one we all got wrong was Collingwood. Um, Hamish had them (laughs) eighteenth. I had sixteenth, and Ben had them fourteenth. So still maintain their bottom fourteen. What about a bottom one team? They did lose to West Coast. So you were looking good. Lose to West Coast um we also none of us had Fremantle in the top eight which is interesting um big turnaround there um we all had port in in our top eights um i think the other teams to miss out or carlton was in hamish and Myers' top eight ben you had them um a bit lower down in 15th which thank god that didn't happen um and hamish had
0: essendon in the eight (laughs) goodness me we all had our own teams in the eight yeah. We all had our teams in the eighth, and none of them we were one, all man. wrong. Who, are uh, who had Geelong at the top? Um, I don't think Hamish <laughs> oh, that's right. Hamish yeah. had them at the highest.
1: So, Hamish had them fourth, and I had them sixth. Ben had them fifth. So, I mean, we were all pretty around there. Um, it just shows Hamish how little I were wrong about Richmond. Hamish and I were wrong about Richmond. I had them 13th, Hamish had them ninth, Ben had them fourth. Been the four.
0: Yeah,
1: I've still got uh, a clip
0: of Hugo saying. Richmond fans, the dynasty is over. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, anyway, that could be a serious. Yeah, keep, hold on to material. that. Cl- hold yeah, on to that clip for case. another
2: five
1: weeks, I reckon. Well, um, so down the bottom, we've got a little seg slider and riser. Um, Hamish and I both had West Coast as our slider, which was right, but very predictable. Well Rise, riser, we both had Carlton. Hamish also had GWS, but Ben was spot on here. He had Essendon as a slider and Richmond as a riser. So there you go. All over it.
0: Neither little wins. That's good. And um, <laughs> yeah. did the did the old sport tipping comp wrap up on the weekend? Or are we going into it finals? It did. No, I think that I think that's it. I think that's, hey, you
2: you won by the length of the yeah. Flemington straight there.
0: <laughs> to be honest, if Hugo hadn't tipped nine upsets in round one, it could have been a lot, lot closer. Um <laughs> come the end. That probably put you a little bit behind the eight ball. Um but anyway, it shows how little none of us really know before the season. And to be honest, none of the no pundits, one, do no um, pundits do either. But it's the best time of year to be making these predictions. Uh, so having considered all that, do we have a most disappointing team of the season? Because there are some serious contenders here. Um, West Coast, I know there's like at the start of the year, there were some extenuating circumstances with COVID and stuff, but they were just horrible for most of the year. Yeah. Um North went backwards as well. Obviously Essendon had a shocking season. GWS for their list as well. Um, it's hard not as I'm sure you guys uh, feel as Cartons and Kilda supporters not to be disappointed as well in in the outcome. So Port Adelaide as well finishing home prelim last year, missing the finals. Um, yeah, so plenty of the options. Was,
1: the other team I was going to mention was Port. Um, and I mean when you start the season the way they did, I think I remember saying that you know, even if they play as well as they can, you're bound to drop games. And when you start, oh, and six, I think it was, it just gets too hard from there. Like you drop one or two games and then you've lost eight for the season. And then, you know, you play against the best sides, which they did at the end of their run. Um, and you lose a couple of games and it's over. Um, so I think for Port fans, I'd just, uh, just be thinking about those first six games and how, you know, you end your season so early, really. Um I mean, you you've got some ex- like Rosie and Butters all <laughs> very exciting, and and you know they're going to be guns. So there's some excitement there. But this season was definitely disappointing. Um, we can deep dive into Carlton in a second. <laughs>
2: surely, surely, it's
1: Essendon though. Like,
2: yeah. I mean, Essendon went from being tipped by some to win the whole thing, tipped <laughs> by m- many to make the four, tipped by everyone to make the eight, to losing their coach, and they're now this sort of point of public ridicule how could it be anyone else
0: it all depends on what I miss- the, the, no i agree um you know i'm not going to stand up for it <laughs> um that i guess the thing is it all depends where you judge it by like if you judge it by carlton halfway through the year um they're obviously gonna be the most disappointing team because at eight and two, you just have to play finals um but i guess the thing that's specific to essendon is that you can judge them at any point of the year and no matter where you judge them from, it's still disappointing season. Like even with five rounds to go, the fact it got such a debacle off the field. Now the whole club's kind of just rather than being blown up, as we've mentioned a few times on this, this podcast, it's kind of just been, uh I don't know, flattened, I guess. Um, <laughs> leveled. Leveled, exactly. Which is not really what we're, we're going for. So um, yeah, I think... There's plenty of, of disappointing teams. I don't know which three of us, that would be most disappointed because the Saints also had a really strong start to the year and looked top four chance for a, a lot of it. So, um, yeah, we can, you know, um, compare the, the utility we each feel in terms of the disappointment. Um, Just but yeah, comparative tales of woe. Hugo's probably winning at the moment, I feel. Uh, I probably <laughs> no, came to terms thing. with it earlier. Um, yeah, I mean,
1: you... You think about the game against Collingwood, and it's just—I've never felt that feeling before. In so, can we get in into this? Can we, yeah, like, I think it's <laughs> let's let's do
2: it. So, as a as a neutral, I find it non-impossible to feel bad for a lot of the big Melbourne clubs, but Collingwood and Carlton are probably the two. And I felt genuinely terrible for <laughs> for Carlton, like the football club yourself a couple of my other friends I know yeah like, that is just I can't put it into words how ridiculous a way to miss the eight that is I know you don't need to hear this from me but it is sort of, <laughs> it is shrouded in sympathy. Um yeah do you wish you went sick skiing?
1: Yeah I <laughs> wish I was skiing. Um no I'm I'm still so glad I went because to be game. there on the day show your support. I have no regrets about that. Uh, And I don't think you can, as a Carlton supporter. You know, I mean, it was genuinely awful. Um, And I think the week before as well adds so much to it. You know, two narrow losses, win, and you're in the finals. You see the emotion on the players and the fans. It's been over ten years now, and yeah, speechless after the game, and still struggling to find eloquent words to summarise my feelings. Yeah. So was it just dead silence in the car home or on the train home? I I was by myself at the game because oh. family had decided to go skiing and friends had already organized Prudent. or weren't going. Um so I just went in by myself, sat by myself, met some guys and were chatting to them during the game, but left by myself on the train, headphones in, wasn't listening to anything. I mean, basically, 90% of people on the train were Carlton supporters because they'd all left at the siren. Whereas Collingwood fans, as I would have if Carlton had won, hang around and, you know, sing the song. But it was just awful. Um,
0: You could
1: just. Honestly, I didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to think about it, get home and, you know, get the sympathy. And my mum and sister are Collingwood supporters, but they were both pretty sympathetic. Um, Oh, really? (laughs) which was nice sister less so but mum apparently mum was barracking for Carlton so I don't don't know about that but (laughs) um I didn't want to think or talk about it yeah I just couldn't think about the game or or just cause more heartbreak and then finally the last (laughs) few days I managed to accept it and watch Michael Voss's um press conference which any Carlton supporter who hasn't listened to it definitely recommend it It talks a lot about feelings of players going through what he preached at the end of the game and you know it's all the right things and I think Carlton's got some great leadership you talk about Patrick Cripps in that game like that man is built to Captain Carlton to finals
0: Um, I'm just gonna (laughs) I'm just gonna take you off on that one because I think they lost because of a lack of leadership compared to Collingwood anyway um because when I,
1: I I tend to agree in defensive structure. But when um, that
0: guy had the totally. ball, um, was it Durden who just bombed it to the pocket yeah, to Cripps the- was literally standing next to him, and Cripps should have been saying to him, kick, kick it point. to Harry Mackay, <laughs> bomb it to the top of the square, and we'll rush it through. Like he had to say I that he know, just what- stood there silent and he just and didn't say anything to him. And obviously that's just one moment, but you feel like there was a whole lot. And Jacob Weedering at the other end, when there was that final play, didn't trust his Team to wrap back around him so he didn't come up at the ball and that meant Saud had the the outnumber at the back. Um there's just a few things where I feel like I don't want to talk about this. uh, (laughs) but that I feel like it was a bit of lack of just maybe it's the confidence in the leadership or something. Um I mean weedering's been out for a while and still getting back into it, but um yeah, it's hard. I think one team always jumps from the bottom half of the ladder into the top four every year uh, it's happened for like the last 10 years or something Collingwood obviously did it this year um, and it's hard to not think it'll be carton next year they're definitely the, the odds on to to do it I would have thought
2: what about well, thanks for that last <laughs> oh yeah yeah I don't think it's
0: I don't think it's doom and gloom for carton going forward I think it's just a very disappointing way to end the season oh absolutely
2: true all yeah. right uh, we should move on our final note on that how good was it to see 90,000 back and having the MCG rocking? Um, that's that's how footy should be played. And as a neutral, that was absolutely great to see. One last talking point from the men's game, the Zorko incident with um, at three-quarter time. Obviously, it was unsavory and unedifying for all involved. Um, the question in front of me here is, should Zorko lose his captaincy? It's not this, but it's sort of a pattern of behavior that's starting to appear that's fairly uncaptain-like according to most people. What do you think, Hamish?
0: Yeah, he's um in the words of a lot of a lot of sports, he's a grub, that's what they say. Um he does have a he does have a uh <laughs> a bit of a rap sheet when it comes to this stuff. It's obviously come out what he says. We I mean, do need to talk about it here, but it was pretty unsavory and makes sense that Harrison Petty was so upset about it. Um and I think personally you just shouldn't be saying that on any in any context, let alone on a, a sporting field, let alone when you're the captain of the club. So I think he doesn't need really to like get sacked and unceremoniously thrown out like now for this. I just think next season it's probably the right time anyway for Brisbane to be like, hey, thanks for your service. We're probably going to go in a new direction now. Um, well,
1: most of them seem to be voted by the players now and you'd think they'd agree that, it's time to move on and even if they don't dump him necessarily they might not vote him in next time um it's hard to know the vibe within the club but yeah i mean even just like the way he acted on the field didn't seem like he was a a captain a leader there was times when it almost seemed like he was just upset about losing and almost a sore loser at times when he got tackled and was put something in a headlock and yeah it's just not not what you want from your captain
2: yeah, especially if they get rolled first week of the finals, um, which I think there's every chance they will. Then, I don't know, they're a bit of a lost club. They they don't really seem to turn up in big games, but that's coming from <laughs> a, a supporter of a, a far more lost club. So, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, last thing in the world of footy, we've obviously got the AFLW starting
1: this week. Hugo, you looking forward to this? Yeah, I can't wait. Huge that they managed to get the essendon Hawthorne game moved to Marvel. Um, I think it's probably the second most hyped game in AFLW history, following the the first game, the lockout game between Carlton Collingwood. Um, it's going to be awesome. 18 teams in a in the season in the competition for the first time. Um, stars of the game back. Haven't really lost too many or any players from this you know startup period. So best players in the comp. 18 teams. What more could you want?
0: Yeah, so it starts on Thursday night and then they've got a grand final rematch on Friday and then the uh the Essen and Hawthorne game on the, the Saturday. Um, and I think they've scheduled it quite cleverly because they don't play enough rounds for every team to play each other. So they've got the basically the new teams, like the four new teams coming in this year, um, are not playing the stronger of the kind of existing teams. They're playing each other a lot and that kind of thing, trying to make sure there's not too many blowouts because um yeah, it does take a few years, as we've seen in the men's game, for a new club to, to become established, even if the AFL men's teams have been around for, for a long time.
1: Awesome. Shall we move on to a few minus, minor points around the sporting world? um focusing mostly on cricket uh so we had the first test of the england versus south africa series a series i was very excited for given you know always follow english cricket pretty closely with ashes always just around the corner and then south africa tour coming up to australia so it was a really fascinating one especially with um another reason is that the england win against new zealand recently and the form they've had and india to be honest um but they lost. <laughs>
2: they got smashed.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, absolutely smashed in basically two days of cricket without rain. It went for just about two days, two and a half days of actual cricket. And they got rolled by an innings and it is the death of Baz Bull. Can you confirm, Hamish?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, it was fun while it lasted, but that's not how you play test cricket. It's not sustainable. No, no. I think um, this pitch had a bit in it, which was always going to be the problem. And... If you, it just seems a bit because cricket is so played above the shoulders. Like the whole game is mental. Um, the only game where it's more mental is probably golf, but because you have to think about your shot so much. But cricket is right up there because of the length that's played over, and the way that I think baseball is—it's kind of just the product of so much mental anguish and overthinking. Where it's like, let's not let's not try and like assess situations. Let's just always take the positive kind of approach um and the way you interpret that's got to be really careful i think when you're playing because otherwise your your losses are going to be really ugly like you won't have the gritty kind of you know see out a whole session worth of really good bowling um on a pitch that's doing a lot because you're going to be thinking no that you know if i lose a wicket here we're going to be three for ten rather than me having a swing and getting to 30 or whatever um and I think, moreover, um, the bowling attack they were facing in South Africa is serious quartet. Uh, I think I think they're the best in the world when you got a four-person bowling attack. Um, so Rabada, Jansen, the big left-arm swinger, Nokia, the the enforcer, bowls well over 150 k's an hour, and then Ngedi, um, who can do a bit of everything, and then the spinner Maharaj as well. So it's the first Test they've ever all played together, and um it's exciting south african cricket exciting to see them come to australia as well because their batting still pretty vulnerable i think um but their bowling is seriously strong ben did you catch any of it
2: um no just just highlights but you're right that the four seamers um will be a serious handful on australian bouncing pitches i reckon and um yeah, batting's batting's definitely going to be the issue for them. If they're going to be competitive against us, they'll just need to make runs. But their bowling stocks are, as you said, probably the best in the world, right up there with ours.
0: Yeah, so the FTP, which anyone who follows cricket has become a real catchphrase in the last month or so. It's a future tours program that got announced. They've released basically a future tours for like the next six years, which like is a significant length of time. And South Africa only scheduled to play 28 tests in the next four years. They haven't had their last couple of years confirmed yet. That's only seven tests a year. It's not a lot of cricket. Um, England, by comparison, are playing uh, 42, 43. Australia are playing 39, I think. Um, doesn't seem like there's a huge difference, but when you think about the fact that, you know, Rabat has played 53 tests and in four years' time, um, he's going to be 31, but by then the maximum amount of tests that he will have been able to play um, is kind of 81 or so. It's not... He's not adding a whole lot in that time. It's a shame given this quartet that they're not going to get to play more cricket, but they're very pragmatic about it. You know, there's not, unfortunately, outside of the big three, it's not financially viable for smaller states to do playing them at the moment. So um, we've got to enjoy their tour of Australia and this one of England while while they have it. Yeah.
2: That's for sure. We've also got Tim Payne making his return to league cricket in Tasmania. Story broke throughout the week. What do you make of this, Hugo?
1: Yeah, really exciting for Tim. Um, great to see him get back to what he loves to do. Um, it was a real shame the way he went out. And, um, you know, even if he never plays for Australia again, you know, he loves Tassie. Tasmanians love each other. <laughs> um, <laughs> not not yeah. in that way. Not in that way.
2: <laughs> That's the drive by the, the century. <laughs> <laughs> the unintentional um, drive by. What do you think comes of it? How, how, how high can he ascend in the cricketing
1: world again? I mean, you never know. <laughs> he came from nowhere to be the Australian wicket keeper, and then all of a yeah. sudden he was captain. So who knows? He could do it again. Um, I think what will probably end up happening is he'll he'll wicket keep for Tassie, be a leader in the in the group. Um, Matt Wade will probably play as a bat. McDermott maybe as a bat, and might be a couple of years more for Tim Payne before he before he retires. But you don't want to write him off. Absolutely not. Um,
0: I. I'm not sure he's going to play for Tassie. Um, he's currently training with the Tassie squad, but he says he's only planning on playing in the, the Tasmanian kind of premier comp that they have there with you, Taz. Um, But I think if you're training with Tassie, that's obviously not going to exclude you from playing for them. So I think there's a chance he ends up there, but he's also got, he's got Jake Doran, Ben McDermott, Matt Wade, probably all trying to keep ahead of him. So whether they want to go back to Tim Payne or not, it'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, good to see that he is is returning to cricket. Um, and there's one more that I couldn't resist, but but put in that I thought we should discuss, boys. And that is David Warner's leadership ban, which is rumored to be being discussed at high levels at the moment. He had, did an interview in the week and he said, "Look, I haven't raised it. It's completely up to Cricket Australia to reach out to me and want to have a discussion. I'd be very open to them if they they wanted to." Um, it's worth noting that the Cricket Australia board now is um, basically completely new from when the leadership ban was put in place. And it's not about um, Warner wanting to captain Australia again. It's just about him wanting to not have his name tarnished while he's still playing. Because that will live with him forever. it will always be against his name. And uh, I heard an anecdote. One journo was saying that there was like a nine-year-old kid at a um, a training camp and David Warner came down and um, he said to his mum, oh, is that the one that, sandpaper the ball and like, you know, this is five years ago. This kid wouldn't have been a sentient being when when that happened. Um but <laughs> that's by, why drive by to the kid. Free, uh, <laughs> yeah, drive I'm by kid. Thankful. No. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> I, I you think I i reckon sentient starts when you can remember your first footy grand final. So anyway, I don't think he was <laughs> sentient. Um but um it would be a shame if that's how David Warner is remembered going forward rather than for the the cricketer he is as well. Um but the worth thing worth noting, I think is as a couple of other rival podcasts have said um he has the nuclear codes he has the codes so it's in cricket australia's interest to keep him happy um because he knows what went on there and he's got the story of how everyone was in on it and how the bowlers knew and how um tim Payne knew and how everyone else knew and what it would do to pat cummins and to cricket australia and to everything if it came out that they just he, he basically he didn't say anything he took it he took the fall for everyone else um but I think he's got the codes and they want to be very careful with how they, they treat him.
2: Heard it here first or second or third. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly heard it here. Uh, very well, I think
1: I was just gonna say if he's if he's coming back to the Thunder, which he is, then it's probably lining up for <laughs> Captain Role after he retires from from international cricket or at least Test cricket and plays for the Thunder a bit more regularly. Um and yeah i mean it's interesting because i think it's an integrity decision and they're always pretty reluctant to go back on the integrity decisions um so we'll see what happens but yeah it, it is an
0: interesting one all right should we move on to our moments of the week
2: let's i'm excited to get into mine um big one for Saints fans who needed something to smile about at the end of the regular season. And here it is. Lenny Hayes, it's been all but confirmed will be returning to Moorabbin as an assistant coach coming after a few years up in Sydney, assistant coach for GWS. It would be amazing to have such a a club legend back in the fold and obviously brings with him incredible um, pedigree, amazing football mind. And I think that's a, a real spark that, the club probably needs at the moment. Um, he really epitomizes everything that an honest, hardworking football club should be. And I think a lot of those attributes are certainly lacking at the moment. So thrilled.
0: Yeah, it's a good one. I reckon because I think the saints are in a really tricky spot where they're probably going to have to do a list clean out and just bite the bullet a bit and hope to try and have one more crack when steel and, and crouch and co are still around Um if that means letting go of the Brad Hills of the world, then then so be it. Um, Looks but like I it reckon does. a good kind of counterbalance to that and to build some energy is Lenny coming back and they should try and get Bob Harvey back. Um, they should sign up Rick, Nick Riewoldt to be Max King's goal-kicking assistant rather than Jared Ruffhead, you know. They should sign um, up Nick
2: Riewoldt on a two-year playing contract. <laughs> That's what they
1: should probably do. They could
0: do that as well. Uh, he's still in very good shape. That shirt he wears on Fox footy um, pulls nicely <laughs> over the, the biceps. Yeah. Um, all right, I'll move on to my moment of the week before things get too silly, uh, and that is Ellen White retiring. Um, Ellen White is absolute champion of women's soccer and soccer in general. Um, she's retiring from international football to continue her club commitments, but she has 52 goals for the Lionesses, which is um, the record for uh, women's soccer, and she was just shy of Actually, I think she tied Wayne Rooney's record um, for, for men's, but she couldn't quite get past it. But it was a fitting finish for her to win the Euros um, with the Lionesses this year and bows out probably the greatest ever uh, women's player for, for, the, for England. So um, congratulations to her on her international career.
1: Very good. Yeah, that's a big, big story of the week. Um, I have gone for arguably the biggest footy story of the week behind the Carlton Collingwood game. That is Alistair Clarkson signing for North Melbourne. We just missed this one on last week's episode. Um, I think it's a great story for North Melbourne. Huge get, biggest one they've had in the club for for years, um, and just seeing the hope it brought the club. You know, I heard Clark on Jared Waitley's radio this morning, and he's just he's talking about bringing the club back to to what it is and using the iconic kangaroo and logo and the the spirit of the club to to market it rather than just performance, he's talking about about growing the club like he did at Hawthorne. I think it started with 20,000 members when he he started and then they're in, in debt and struggling economically as well. And he came on and somehow fixed the ship. No, um, <laughs> apart from all that, I think it's just exciting for North fans um, and a, a glimmer of hope. So how optimistic do you think a
2: North fan should be? Because they've had two wins a percentage of about <laughs> 50 um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Clarkson came to Hawthorne and they already had Roughhead and Hodge and Franklin and a young, absolute superstars that, I mean, to be fair, North do have a good young list, but is it, is this sort of a one-stop shop fix all or I don't know. Should, should you
1: caution a little bit of, just just hold the brakes on him a bit. I mean, absolutely, you have to have some caution. Yeah, there's no guarantee he's going to be the saviour of the club, but I don't think there's any reason you shouldn't be excited. And what's the point of them having a three-win season this year? A loss on the weekend is arguably the best result possible for them. Like, let's be honest with this. It's against what they're trying to do if they are winning games this year, unless they're good enough to make finals. We're in the premiership business. AFL is the premiership business. And, you know, there's no point in finishing between, you know, 15th and 8th if you're not going to win a flag in the next few years. We um, absolutely
2: don't condone tanking at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, God. Uh, nah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I mean, we'll obviously, hopefully, get the chance to find out a lot more in depth about how North is looking going forward uh, in the coming week. So keep an eye on that. But... Um, I don't think North fans are expecting to play finals in the next two seasons. I think Alistair Clarkson went in 2004. I mean, he won in flag four years into his time at Hawthorne. Um, I think the issue is in his last five years at Hawthorne, yes, he was going for more success, but they basically didn't draft and he just pulled in mature players from other clubs. And you can understand why they were doing that, but it has left Hawthorne kind of in a bit of a mess now. Um, whilst they're rebuilding now, they've been set back a few years because of that. I don't think he can do that at North now. Like if he's going to bring in, bring in players, I've got to be like that 22 to 26 bracket. The talk of him bringing like Brad Hill and stuff doesn't make sense to me. Um, I understand maybe one or two players is like the leadership kind of role, but you can get them on the cheap, the likes of Dyson Heppel and stuff who are, are looking for a slightly better money and a longer contract elsewhere. Um, whereas, yeah, paying $900,000 for Brad Hill probably doesn't make a lot of sense for North given he's 29. But anyway, we are interesting to see if Clarko gets his way there or if he's asked to keep on drafting for one or two more years and really fill out that list. Um, but anyway, we should, uh, we should move on to the fan moment of the week. And Hugo actually yeah. mentioned this one before. Who do you want to credit this one to Hugo? Uh,
1: this is from Indy. So thanks Indy for sending that into oldsportpod at gmail.com.
0: Uh, so, Indy's moment of the week was moving the AFL-W game this Saturday between the Hawks and Bombers to Marvel Stadium. The 12,000 tickets sold out um, within a couple of hours when they they went on sale. Um, they were going to be playing down in Port Melbourne somewhere, I think. Um, and hopefully we'll get, you know, 20,000 people or more going to Marvel to, to watch this game um, between two old rivals who even in the build-up to this game saying how much they hate each other even though it'll be the first ever... AFLW game, they play against each other, which you'd you love to see.
1: Yeah, i love to see the, the old rivalries living on through the modern game, even in a completely different competition. It, it is great to see. Ben, what's the time? Well, I was going to ask Hamish, because I understand
2: he's been he's been travelling around a lot over the past 24 <laughs> hours, so, and I don't have a watch on me, actually. So Hamish, have you got a your handle on the current time zone?
0: I don't, Ben, but Um, From what I've heard, from what I can gather, it is time, whatever the time is, for Australia's and the world's favourite podcasting segment, hit or miss.
1: Well, to the world, you're welcome. Um, Let's get this started um i'll start us off with (laughs) excluding the south african tests the next two summers are looking like the least interesting test schedules for a long time this is the australian men's test schedule um and this is the australian summers only basically so we've got the three tests against south africa this summer we also have two tests against the west against the west indies and then for whatever reason, in next summer 2023, 24, we have two more tests against the West against the West Indies I'll and then three tests off. against Pakistan. It's bizarre. I've never known Cricket Australia to do this. And of all teams, West Indies, I'm all for you know smaller teams touring Australia. It's it's great to see them occasionally and, and support them by getting them over here. But West Indies twice in two summers, it's I mean you can tell my opinions
0: on this, but I just cannot wrap my head around it. <laughs> um, I th- look. I think it's a hit. Um, but I think excluding this South Africa to South Africa test is a big kind of qualification. I think if you didn't exclude, them, then it'll be a tricky question. Um, because <clears throat> there was a summer a couple of years ago where it was, um, Sri Lanka and Pakistan, I think. And look, I I'm. On the same page, I don't like playing the same test team two summers in a, in a row. We did it with India. It's the same old stuff, you know. Um, yes, we got yeah. beaten twice, didn't help the cause. Um, but regardless, <laughs> you want to see different teams coming out each time. And if it was such a big deal where they had to play a certain amount of tests, I'm not sure what happened, they could have just played a three or four test series in, in one summer in one hit rather than bringing them out a couple of times. Um, hopefully it does good things for West Indian cricket. Hopefully... Uh, they put on a kind of a show and a bit of fight and stuff. Um, they'll get their draw in Sydney where it inevitably will rain for half the test match. Um, so I guess then it's one test match series and you never know what could happen.
2: Um, yeah, it is a hit. You obviously want to see, I'd love to see New Zealand here for one. Yeah. Um, India's India's always it. Well, the last two series have been cracking, even though we've Bangladesh. lost. Bangladesh. Um, yeah. I wouldn't mind Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. Yeah. But it's still one of those things with um, international. Like interna- sorry, sorry, everyone. Um, international test cricket, like the talent pool is not that deep, and it's stretched even thinner when traveling teams come to Australia because it's so challenging to play here. So, I mean, you'd have to really dig into the archives to see if there have been two consecutive summers that were less entertaining. To truthfully answer your
1: question, <laughs> but I it certainly doesn't with the appetite that's for sure I'd honestly rather play Bangladesh or Afghanistan twice I think we play one test against Afghanistan and Australia in the six years or whatever that they've released and we play West Indies twice in two summers anyway we could talk about it for a while but let's move on keep the segment interesting Hamish <laughs> hey, what's your hit or miss
0: all right. Uh, my hit or miss is coming back to the footy world. Uh, I'm keen to get your, your take on this. James Heard deserves equal consideration as all other candidates for the being the next Essendon coach hit or miss.
2: Um, it's a miss without getting into any sort of slander. I mean, he deserves, you, you treat equals alike. He deserves as much consideration as any other coach that was fired for not doing a very good job. Um, especially not doing a very good job at the club that he's asking for his old job back at. I just think like, it doesn't, <laughs> it, it doesn't really happen in any field um, especially professional sport. It's a real one and done thing at a club. Um, so no, I don't think it would be the right direction for the football club. And I, I don't think he deserves equal consideration.
1: Um, Yeah. It's a tricky one about equal consideration. Um. I think if you're just looking on talent, yes. You want to – Essen right now, I think you should just pick the best coach possible, sort out the the office as well. Um, I did – I found it interesting, though, that they were looking after – looking for a coach who has had some experience in the AFL. I'm not too sure why that is, Um and whether they were specifically looking for a senior coach, a coach with senior coaching experience, or just someone like Adam Kingsley who's been in the assistant role for I think it's sixteen years or something. Um, is there anyone more experienced than him? You know, um, and I don't really think Essendon should be should be getting rid of, you know, eliminating all options this early in the coach hunt. Um, but I mean, maybe. It, they'll run out of options because there's not too many senior coaches with experience out there right now. Well, not too many who have had, you know, senior coaching experience and enough time to, to learn from their mistakes in another role. I don't think like you can't go after a a Brendan Bolton or a David Teague, for example, yet they, they have not had enough time. Um, hey, you're your pretty, pretty unbiased opinion on this one.
0: <laughs> what do you think? Oh, you gonna ask first, Ben. Was like, what are the actual chances
2: of this happening? I, I find it so astonishing,
0: really. So, just on Hugo's point first, they teams they left themselves wiggle room. They didn't say senior coach; they said experienced coach. But you know, even even experienced coach, there's like a handful of like Adam Uze is like the one who jumps off the page, but there's not that many others out there now. Um, and there's a section of the Essendon coterie and the board as well, I think, who um, see James Heard as kind of the the Messiah who was wronged and who is the one to lead us to the promised land. That's the that's the the view. I think it's quite an emotion driven view, and there is definitely that push. Um, they're calling it a bit of a boat race, and then there is the rest of the board who I think are probably pretty similar minded to you guys um, probably think you start taking a step back is not one to go forward here uh, it's time for the club to to move forward in a different direction what do um, you think I don't so if he is the best candidate then yes I think you should make him coach I find it very hard to believe he is head and shoulders above the others given he spent six years out of the system and did a bit of part-time stuff at GWS this year which it was in a bit of a mess of its own. So, um, I, I think even if you do give him equal consideration, I can't see him, um, getting the role. Um, I think the only thing can make more sense in like maybe five, 10 years time, you know, maybe the teams had some success. Um, it's moved forward. I don't think the team will really have moved forward till they have some kind of element of success, um, to, to think about. I think the shadow will hang until then. So, it could happen. It definitely, like, is a possibility, um, which is a little bit concerning to think about. Um, but, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Hugo, finish this off. Oh, Ben, finish this off. No, so. that'll be me. Um, mine's, a, <laughs>
2: mine's a pretty simple one, short and sharp.
1: The pre-finals buy should get in the bin. Um, I think it's a hit for me. I, I get the, I get the argument. I mean, we were all up in arms when I think it was Fremantle rested their entire team before finals because they had nothing to play for. I get I get the points. It's
2: funny. It's funny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> every, every year it comes up and the fans are, you know, it's the worst thing possible for fans and for the footy, footy world. Um, I get for the, the competition, it makes sense. But getting the bin hit for me.
2: The other thing they say is that it um, improves the standard of finals. To, do you ascribe to that?
1: Um, yes and no. I think, um, it gives a chance for the best players to be fit and ready. Um, but I think with finals, I mean, last year we didn't get great finals. I was going to say in finals, you tend to always get good games, but yeah. Last year we didn't. And there was a buy. So there <laughs> were know. two
2: last year. <laughs> yeah. It was a pre grand
1: yeah. final. Bye and it was a bad grand final. So, yeah. Um, no, get in the
0: bin. <laughs> yeah, it can get in the bin, absolutely. Um, it just slaps the momentum out. And this week is kind of, it's doable because I have the awards tomorrow night, probably the night that this is released. We'll have the All-Australian come out and Rising Star and all of that. Um, and we've obviously got the women's AFL to keep us um, interested in the game for for this week. And that's something looking forward to, but it's not, you're not watching the women's AFL as a substitute for the men's, you're watching it as its own competition. So I think it should be used like that. Um, So I think, so Ross Lyon and Brad Scott were the two coaches who were notorious for resting their players in the final round. But like those games were funny. Like the game when North Melbourne played Richmond with literally their VFL side lost and then beat them in that elimination final the next week and ran over the top of them in the last quarter um, was pretty funny as a neutral um, to see. Um at the time, obviously things changed a couple of years later. But I don't think it was introduced before 2016 and that was an awesome final series. Um, especially the dog's yeah. run. Um but I don't think it's I think okay, the what they will do in the future, I think, is have the play in tournament like we talked about last week. Um, and that solves the problem, I think, for for everyone involved. But yeah, at the moment, just get rid of it. It's just annoying for everyone.
1: Yeah and I think the AFLW argument is also an important one and it has been used as you know if you're that obsessed with footy you know watch the AFLW this week that's your replacement or you know it gets its full spotlight which I think it does deserve but also we're interested in this specific competition that's run for 23 weeks and has built momentum up to the final series this the AFLW is a is a great competition but doesn't say that your your want for want a need for these finals competitions to start now Um especially with the way it finished in mean, the Carlton Collingwood last game of the home and away season, sorry, second last game of the home and away season. Sorry, Saints fans. Um, oh, how, how could you forget? <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, no, I think we're all on grand here though. Awesome. It's time for the next segment, which is uh on this day, on this week. And, it comes from a sport that we don't think have mentioned on the podcast yet. Sport, um, <laughs> oh, Not this again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is from the UFC and it is from 2016, the 20th of August, Conor McGregor defeated Nate Diaz. Um, and I, even I remember this fight happening. So for, for me to remember, then it obviously was a big fight. And um, I think it, uh, UFC has only grown from there and, a character like Conor McGregor is one of those figures that, you know, takes over the sporting world for a couple of years. And, and they're the ones we watch sport for.
2: What's, what's old mate Conor McGregor doing nowadays? Is he still in the octagon? Uh, nah, as far as I'm aware, he doesn't fight anymore. Nice. But
1: not an expert.
2: <laughs> Why would you want to get punched in the head like any more than you absolutely money. had to? But I mean, he's got all, <laughs> all the money in the world. Sure. So the incentives disappears very quickly.
1: But I think they're all addicted to it. It's like any other sport. You get addicted, you think you're good enough, you make money off it, you have the thrill. They're built different to, you know, your football or your cricketer, but... They are.
0: <laughs> Both <laughs> up top and physically, I think. Yes.
1: Yeah. Drive-by central today. Um... Yeah,
0: we are on fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, good one, Hugo. That's a slightly different one. Uh, the... What six-year anniversary? How exciting! Um, yeah, yeah to tap forward- into
2: a market that I would say we really
1: haven't drilled into yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Sorry. moving on from the from past events, let's move on to to future events. That's oh, a we'll great start segue. With, <laughs> in a the segue. <laughs> world. we've got the England versus South Africa series continuing. I think the next test starts in a couple of days, so. Hopefully England can fight back and we see a bit more basketball or at least a a close game there. Um, We also have the Asia Cup starting the next week. So that'll be exciting for all cricket fans to watch Some, Yeah, I think India, Bangladesh starts the series off from memory. Um, And then in under a week's time now, we have cricket in Australia. We have Australia taking on Zimbabwe up in Townsville. We've been hyping this up a lot, especially me moving on from footy season already into cricket year season. Can't wait
0: for it. Um, One of the things I'm uh, really excited about for that those games is the scorecards we're going to see. Um We haven't done this yet. Uh, we're saving it for our next Nuffy episode. But um the Zimbabwean cricket team has some of the all-time names of any cricket team ever. Like, I reckon five of the top ten names, cricketers' names of all time are in this current Zimbabwean team. So uh, if you aren't sure whether you're going to switch on or not, at least switch on, see the scorecard, see what they're all about. Wow.
1: They're all about their names. It's really humping up
0: the Zimbabwean
1: Cricket Association. Um in the world of U.S. sports, we again just have uh, Major League Baseball continuing. Uh, it is an interesting transition period, though. The Yankees seem to have lost a lot of form and may drop out of of World Series favoritism, uh, while a few other teams fight for uh, a wild card berth. The NFL is still over two weeks away, so we'll we'll do a bit of a preseason hype up for the NFL when it does start. But we do have the return of Formula One this weekend where we head to Spa-Francorchamps, the famous uh, raceway with a, a big hill, basically. <laughs> if you haven't seen it before, um, have a look at the racetrack. It's, it's one of the best races all, all season. Um, Ur-Rouge is the name of the hill, and it's, it's exhilarating. Last year, we didn't get any racing there because of rain, which is, you'd think, only limited to cricket. But no, it does happen in Formula 1 as well. So hopefully we see Danny re- return to some form and maybe hear about his future as
0: well, and Oscar Piastri. Nice one. Um, well, in the soccer world, there's actually not that many really exciting fixtures this week. There's a lot of interesting ones. One that caught my eye is Aston Villa versus West Ham in the English Premier League. Uh, for another reason, then West Ham have lost their first three games. Villa won one, lost two. So they're both teams really under pressure. Um, managers under pressure as well. So there'll be ramifications ramifications for that game, depending on the result.
2: Amazing. All right. So, in the immediate future in the AFL, we've got the bye and the AFLW to look forward to. But obviously, just on the horizon, we do have the AFL men's final, and we will be bringing you a massive finals preview on our next episode, including hopefully insights from the fans of all eight clubs. <laughs> Unfortunately, our interview with Nat Five fell through. So if there's a Fremantle free supporter out there that wants to have a chat to us about their club, feel free to jump on, shoot us a message. Um, in the golf, we got the Tour Championship coming up this week, so the sort of crown jewel in the PGA tour schedule, top 30 players on the money list all battling it out at East Lake in Atlanta. Always good fun. US Open next week in the tennis. So hopefully King Kyrgios can keep up his good form. And a bit further away than that, next month, we've got the President's Cup Golf potentially with, potentially without Cam Smith. We'll have to read the tea leaves on that one.
0: Nice one. Um, should we run through some some tips and and bowl predictions? for the week ahead. Um, Hugo, yeah. you started that. I'm not sure it's that bold, but go on anyway.
1: <laughs> well, before we start discussing everything, I thought it might be. I, I've said that Australia is to lose at least one test against South Africa. I think a bold prediction, it would be very bold to say we'd, we'd lose two tests. I think it, it could be a drawn series, but I, I do find it hard to see Australia losing two tests at home, even to South Africa but I think there's a, a decent chance we'll lose at least one game. Um, but, hey, they're bold predictions. Let's say South Africa are going to win two.
2: Um, I've got a sophisticated one. I think that the Saints will land degoey on some outrageous four $4.2 million contract over five years. I think he's going to get embroiled in another huge scandal this off season, which is going to completely mar his entrance to the club. And I think the whole thing is going to be a complete bin fire disaster. And the Saints are going to be bad forever.
1: <laughs> that That is very grim reading. Um, and I'm sorry, Ben, for your future as a Saints fan.
0: If When's right. the, where's the bold part of it, Ben? It's not that stage <laughs> of the episode. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm going to go for a real left of, of field one here. Uh, I think this is going to be the the one-day series we've been really hyping up, Zimbabwe versus Australia. It's going to be a breakout series for Innocent Kaya, um, who's a young batsman. Actually, he's not. He's now 30. Um, seems young, but he only made his debut <laughs> last year. So he's young in his international career. Um, bats right-handed and uh, made his debut against Scotland last year. So I think it's going to be a breakout series for him. Um, hopefully get his his top score.
2: What are you basing that on?
0: I've just been clicking through some Zimbabwean national cricket (laughs) team players, and I really like his flick off the hips. (laughs) I've done my research, man. You're the new Rick Finlay of the great world. (laughs) Yeah, call me Sir Swamp Thing.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Very good, lads. Thank you very much, listeners, for sticking through with us to the end. Please join us next week for a massive episode previewing the afl finals as well as wrapping up all the the results from the week before and as usual we'll be giving you heaps of tips features bold predictions and australia and the world's favorite podcasting segment hit or miss thanks for joining us